The condition of sin's got to be dealt with before the conduct of a believer. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. If you expect to become righteous through the law or any other means, you will fall short every time. The person that's sitting next to you that might be an adulterer, that might be a dope addict, you and that person need the same grace of God. What about when I was unfaithful? What about when I overstepped the lines? The things that we say could never be paid for, God has already paid. Nothing can stop us. We're unstoppable. It should be easy to go to heaven and hard to go to heaven. How do you overcome sin? Not by trying harder, but surrendering more. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he is the man that wrote this book, and it's the book of Romans written to the church in Rome. Uh, and the church, of course, like we've talked about, is two different groups of people. You got the Jews and the Gentiles. You got the Jews who are, um, they know the rules and the law of God, and they've been living this way for many generations. And uh, so it's instilled in their, gen in, their, uh, in their culture. And then you have the Gentiles that, they don't have that, okay? So they're kind of coming at this whole gospel, good news of Jesus thing from different directions. And there's a whole lot of confusion and, and debate around what's true, what's not true. How are we really supposed to live this thing out? And you got the apostle Paul who's writing this letter to really bring the two groups of people together. And where you got some people who are leaning this way or that way, he's saying, hey guys, look, for both of you, for all of you, Jesus came and he literally changed everything. First off, he, he changed the way that you've been living your life. He changes the way that you think about how you can live your life. And uh, he's, actually, he's actually between both of you. And, uh, and, and so what he does is, again, he pulls both groups of people together all throughout the, 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 uh, the entire book. And um, it's really one of the things that we're going to talk about today, the tension that's created in that, but that it's good tension, not negative tension. And so, but it's really been an incredible series. What I want to do today is really remind you of a lot of the things that we've talked about. I'm not going in depth into all of those topics because that's what we've done for the last four months. And so, uh, so if you're curious, man, go back and, and watch those videos and sort of, you know, get reminded of the specifics of it. But today, my goal is just to bring up a lot of those topics and those themes and those situations and show you the overall sort of the umbrella uh, goal and statements that we made in the beginning, but the, uh, the umbrella of heart behind why we've gone through this book and hopefully also the heart behind Paul and in why he wrote this book in the first place. So I wanted to to kind of state some goals and also some statements that we've made up until this point. And actually the first week that we started this journey, um, I read a quote from Ray, Ray Stedman. This is what he said. Romans is one of the books of the New Testament that every Christian ought to be thoroughly familiar with. If you haven't mastered the book of Romans and aren't able to think through this book without a Bible before you, then I urge you to set that as your goal. And uh, I know that, that now, since we've walked slowly and methodically through the book of Romans, I even, I understand the book of Romans so much more than I did even before. And uh, you know how sometimes you're like, man, I think I got a good handle on it. And then you really start walking it out. It's sort of like your kid's homework, right? You're like, I know how to do this. And then you go back and you start doing it. And you're like, I don't know how to do basic division anymore. <laughs> okay, you got to get re-centered back on the basics, man. And so, uh, so that's Romans has been incredible for that, even for myself. I've just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know as a church we have as well. But that's what that's kind of was some of our our thought process is let's work through this methodically. And then some of the other goals we had in Romans was really for you to know that you're justified, that you're made righteous before God through faith in him and what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for him. 
All right, and we, we talked about that, uh, that, that from that you'd see the process of sanctification or consecration being made more like Christ as really a thing of joy, a joyful journey of becoming more like Christ. Uh, the, the duty of having to do all the rules that many people get so distracted with in Christianity, that that wouldn't be the, the goal or the main thing, but actually that would be born out of a heart of delighting in God's law, right? Delighting in who God is. It's not duty or delight, it's actually delight in duty. It's all meshed together. Um, and that's really the life of a believer. But then from that process of what God is doing in you and through you, that then you'd be motivated by this for the mission of reconciling people to God. You know, we said this back in January, actually, uh, when we talked about evangelism, that, that many of us don't evangelize. We don't actually talk to people about the good news because we, number one, we may not understand it fully, or uh, maybe number two, uh, we, we just think that their life is good where it's at. And so we feel like they don't need it. When in actuality, we are desperately all in need of the grace, forgiveness, and redemption of God. No matter whether we got a lot of money in the bank or not, that is not something that, that determines where we stand with God is completely separate. And so, so, you know, we've got to have this, uh, I guess this deeper understanding of why we need Jesus in our life. And anyway, we talked about how the condition of sin must be dealt with before the conduct of a believer. The condition of sin that we're born in, that we are born in sin. Again, week one, we really laid the foundation of this, that we are all born in sin, that there's nothing righteous in us at all. And a lot of people are like, well, I, I see goodness in people, like people that don't believe in Jesus, there's good. We're not talking about general morality and, and goodness. You know, we're talking about righteousness before God. And those are two completely separate things. And if we start mixing them together, we'll end up in moralism, which is I did good, so therefore I'm good. I did bad, therefore I'm bad. And that is just a weak, shallow way of living. And it's not what the gospel is, is intended for something much deeper than that. Does conduct matter? Absolutely. We definitely did not undo that. We just, uh, I guess, kind of rerouted our thinking of why it matters and when it matters. You see, a person that doesn't know God, it's insane for a believer who knows God to think that that person who doesn't know God would act like they do. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't reconcile. It's like, it's almost like a, a kid that's in school and they, they've, they've never taken algebra and then all of a sudden they walk into the classroom and the teacher assumes that they know algebra. <laughs> that's why they're there. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I need to learn how to do it. And, 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 and many times I think in church, we, we sort of get the cart before the horse. Out of good intention, a lot of people, a good intention, but just wrong pattern, wrong, wrong thinking. And so, Justification deals with the condition of sin we're born into and being made right with God. Sanctification deals with the conduct of a believer after salvation, and that really has to do with righteous living, righteous living. So the good news that Paul writes about, of course, is the gospel, that Jesus came, lived a blameless life, died a painful death on the cross to pay the price with his own blood to pay the price for sin because sin always carries with it a penalty and the penalty is death and something, some blood has to be shed to cover it. It's always been like that since day one with Adam and Eve. 
And still the same way today, the good news is this though, that Jesus died once and for all. His blood was the payment of sin retro and proactively. Like, like he paid the price for all of us. There's no need for sacrifices, for a blood sacrifice anymore because of what Jesus has done. And that's the good news. Uh, but the good news is so good, like we stated, because the bad news is so bad. There's heaven, there's hell, there's, there's eternal separation from God, eternal reconciliation with God. There is this reality at stake, and that's why it's so good for those who place their faith in Jesus. So the book of Romans is really split into four big categories. The chapters one through four deal with the gospel revealing God's righteousness. Chapters five through eight dealt with the gospel revealing a new humanity or a new way of living. Jesus came, he was the second Adam. And again, he flipped everything upside down or right side up and created a way for us to live in freedom, true freedom, true liberty, and paid the price for us and just renovated everything. Chapters 9 through 12, the gospel fulfills God's promise to Israel, the chosen people of God. And this is the way that God fulfilled his promise. And Paul is trying in these verses to explain what the promise was and how it was fulfilled. Remember, we spent a whole week talking about circumcision, right? And if you're like, why did you guys do that if you weren't here? <laughs> Go back and read, all right, and, and go back and, and watch it. Uh, it was such an intricate promise that God made or that, that whole process, not just circumcision, but, but God's promise, covenant with his people. And then Paul so eloquently lays it out how God fulfilled that promise. In chapters 13 through 16, Paul really gets into how the gospel unifies the church. And he talks a lot about how Christians should live, that we can be united, but yet diverse at the same time. He talks about all these different concepts and approaches to how it should look. And all the while he's reaching out on both sides of the aisle, right? And he's bringing people together and he's fighting for this middle ground. Um, and, and really his goal was to keep the main thing, the main thing. And we see that in chapter 15, verse 17. What we're gonna do today is take a portion of chapter 15 and a portion of chapter 16. And we're gonna wrap up the book of Romans. So are y'all ready? Here we go, all right. Chapter 15, verse 17 says this, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to, Iler I never say that word, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times I practice it. It's just not gonna work. That word, that place, Illyricum, ah, man, what's you accent so important, right? I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Here we really feel Paul's heart and we see his goals, not just for the book of Romans, but also for the future and his life, where he was headed. And here's the deal, guys. The goals that, Roman, that, that Paul has in Romans is also our goals. This is why we live. Paul's focus was the gospel, to keep the main thing the main thing. And the gospel, who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he accomplished and what he is still accomplishing, that, that message is the main thing. Everything stems from that. 
If we lose that main thing, then we lose who we are. We lose, we lose what we're doing. We lose the purpose of the church and ultimately our eternal purpose in, in, in Christ. We lose it all. We cannot feel that we've graduated out of the main thing. Please, Christians, if you hear one thing, hear that today, that we can't feel bored with the good news. We can't. If that's the case, then again, we will fall into moralism. We will fall into works-based Christianity. We'll fall into humanism because that's the only other option. It's the only other option. We can't do it. And Paul's pleading with them, keep the main thing the main thing. Also, his goal was to faithfully preach this to believers and unbelievers that they would be saved. Here's an important point, is that the gospel is not just for unbelievers, it's for Christians too. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you at some point, you felt like, I got the whole Jesus thing. Like, I get it, okay? Like the cross and its importance, and that's good, and I'm, I'm very grateful. And now I'm walking forward past that into things that are more depthy or, you know, like I, that was first grade, and now I feel like I'm in second grade. So therefore, I don't have to really, I mean, it's important, don't get me wrong, but you know, that's not the way it is for a believer. That's definitely not the way it was for Paul, I'll tell you that. At one point he's like, I have nothing else to really talk about except Jesus and, and Christ crucified. Everything stems out of that. And if it doesn't go back to that, then I've lost ground zero. I'm not anchored in Christ anymore. And I have no idea what we're talking about. That was his focus. And it's the same for us. Why? Because the gospel is not just how we begin our walk in Christ, it's also how we grow in Christ. It's not just step one and then we move on, it's, 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 it's in everything. There is no step two without step one. There's no step three without step one. It always goes back to that. Verse 16 in chapter one, we explain this. It says this, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power, the, the gospel, what Jesus did, what needs to come, that is the power to live in victory, to live. By the way, this is what the series, The Jesus Effect is all about next week. So please, next week, make plans to, to come back, okay? And because here's the deal. We're gonna to begin to show how the gospel, how what we are, we're talking about, how it not just nudges the way that we live our life. It doesn't just, it's not a supplement to what we have going on. It literally redefines it. It redefines how you approach being healed from your past. It, re, it, it redefines your approach to why you need to be in community with other people. It redefines your worship. What we do every single Sunday and, and Wednesday when we come together, we worship. Whenever you have an understanding of the gospel and, you, and, you, and you, you've got this true heartfelt revelation of that, it's, it's not based on whether you like the tempo or, or the, 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 the tune of the song. <laughs> You're literally stating things that if it wasn't for these things you're stating, you would have no hope and you have a realization of that. And then also out of that, you have this, this desire inside of you to lift up the name of Jesus more and more because he deserves it. Like it, it, it renovates your identity. The gospel defines you, not your career. 
like it, it's a completely different way of seeing yourself. You don't see yourselves by your failures anymore, but not just because of some Instagram quote. <laughs> you don't see your, your failures in, anymore because you see Christ in you, like, and you're in him. And then you're not searching on this journey to, to one day stand before God with things that you've accomplished because that won't matter. You yearn to stand before God in Christ and he'll see Christ's righteousness, not your own. And that like, that fuels you and, and it causes you to remain humble. It causes you to remain teachable. It causes you to hate sin in your life and not condone it or, or just be okay with it. The thoughts, patterns, you're like, man, God, you sent Jesus to die for this and change this radically, not for me to just be okay with it. Like you just never settled in that, but not in a condemning way, in a way that leads you to joy and true joy and, 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 and true purpose. This is the life that we're called to. And, and so that's a really long way of saying what we're gonna start next week. Um, it's really built around Christ-centered living and it's gonna be really good. So come back next week. Chapter 16 though, Paul goes on and he says this, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Paul is warning them. He's not just saying it might happen. He says, I'm telling you, you like the, the, where you are at right now, the ground that you have taken is under threat. We are in a battle. We are in a war. And, and Paul's like, hey guys, there's people that are gonna come and they're gonna take this good news of the freedom that you have in Christ. They're gonna take it and they're gonna just tilt it a little bit. And then you'll see them add to it. Like Jesus is great, he is wonderful. But, but, but now let me attach a few things to that just to make it just a little bit better. And Paul's like, you can't make something that's perfect better. It's perfect. Don't mess with it. Leave it alone. Study it. Stay grounded in this area. Don't get off of it because then it's gonna get weird. It's gonna get really weird. There's gonna be disunity and divisions among you if you get into that place. He's like, and there's some people that are gonna place obstacles in your way. Now here's the deal. Whenever we think about false teachers, people that misconstrue or, or divide things, we, at least I do, I always picture them like the villain in some movie dressed all weird, you know, like greasy black hair and it's like in their face and they have rotted teeth and they're like, yeah, you know. Was that a little bit too graphic? <laughs> that's what we, that's Satan, right? That's like what we picture them as is, they don't, that's not how it works. They're usually better looking than you. <laughs> they usually can, can talk a lot better than you can. They usually box you in a corner where you have no defense. And you're like, something feels weird about what you're telling me. Like, I think it's probably wrong, but yet like I can't defend myself. So I guess you know more than I do. So yes, right? And Paul's like, they're, they're gonna come. They're gonna flatter you. They're gonna, they're gonna pump you up. A lot of people, like, maybe that's why sometimes for us here at Northwood, it's, it's not as uh, enjoyable for some people because <clears throat> we kind of just tell it like it is, you know? It's, 
it's, we're going we're gonna to speak truth, not arrogantly, but yet with love, but yet still speak about it. And, and that's not good for some people. That's not good enough. And, and Paul's like, hey, guys, like, I mean, he even says it in some of the times that he writes. He's like, I know that this is difficult writings. I know that this is tough, but I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for Jesus, and I've got to do a good job because I'm pleasing him. And so he said, but watch out for those who are going to come and, and mess this thing up. It's really another goal that we've had in this series is to help you to learn how to navigate difficult and often controversial topics in the Bible. We strive to maintain tensions in these doctrines. Tensions in these doctrines. They're they're not contradictions, they're tensions. And I want you to think of it like this. It's sort of like a tent. Whenever you you construct a tent, you have these tension lines that you tie to the ground. And and in the tension, that's what creates the stability in that, right? You think about tension belts, all these different illustrations. The tension is what creates the stability. And if you remove the tension, you remove the stability and it falls apart. And, And theology is a lot like that. And there's a lot of people who don't like that because we like black and whites. We like just yes and no's and and blah, blah, blah. But what about those areas that are obviously in the word of God where there's this and that and together it forms something together. In those times, a lot of people, uh, they kind of either check out or they, they get intimidated and they bail out. And I think a lot of people, it's actually out of fear. They're fearful that if they, they embrace that tension that they'll lose something, that they'll, they'll, they'll lose their stance. And once we start holding on to one side or the other just for the sake of winning an argument or being right, we have walked into something that is not very Christ-like. And the result is not gonna be very Christ-like. And so Paul's like, well, there's a tension here. When we maintain these tensions, it allows us to acknowledge and accept the multifaceted nature, character, and attributes of God. That's why we've gotta be okay with the middle ground sometimes. We've gotta be okay with it. Not, not, not confused, but okay. We don't wanna allow theological stereotypes and preconceived ideas to cause us to lose the beauty and dynamic of the word and cause us to be theologically arrogant. You're like, well, how can you be theologically arrogant? Have you ever met somebody that just knew it all? Like the person that they... They don't just have like an opinion or like a thought. They know why their thought is right and why subsequently you're wrong. And they let you know about it. And they're usually, they tend to be arrogant, condescending, all of, the th- all of those things. And, and it's amazing to me how in search of knowing God more, you could actually lose all the fruit of knowing him more, which is the fruit of the spirit. It's always confused me. Even in my own life, I felt at times like, what is this? And, and the simple phrase is spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride. But there's been some things I've been thinking about. I'm like, you know, when it comes to studying God and, and studying the attributes of him and, and all of us wanting to grow in this, are we building a temple of worship or are we building a tower of knowledge? Because a lot of people... It starts in they're building a temple, right? They're building a temple to God. And you kind of picture some of these Old Testament stories that took place there. They're, they're building a temple. But then you also remember the Tower of Babel, right? One was to get to God out of their own effort. One was to, to just enjoy who God is and know him more. Completely different motivations. Therefore, completely different results. 
So as we study and as we learn, if there's arrogance that begins to come into play, if there's a condescending spirit, the motivation is wrong in the study. There's gotta be tension, there's gotta be balance. And that's also why we need each other. Hey man, dude, you are really growing in your knowledge, but nobody likes you, <laughs> right? Simply put, it's a reality that we're in, but, but, but we must remain in this, this tension, in a good positive tension. I wanna bring up some topics quickly that we've discussed in this series. And I'm not gonna go in depth with these, but I wanna just show you some of the umbrella topics that we've talked about and to help you kind of remember those things to maintain the ground that we've taken together. There's some tension in regards to God's nature, his character, his attributes. Some things that we see in the Bible where in one sense, we, we see the God that we feel that we know and understand. And in another sense, we see the, the part of God that we feel like we don't. And a lot of times what happens is we begin to choose one over the other and we disregard the fact that they're one and the same. They're one and the same. God is righteous, good, gracious, forgiving, yet he is a just judge and full of pure wrath and holy jealousy against unrighteousness. Week one, we talked about how God is righteous. He is good. Now here's the deal. If he is good and perfect and pure, in him cannot be found. He can't, he's not okay with unrighteousness. He loves us, but he hates sin. He hates it. He hates what it is with the results of it. And therefore he judges it, but he is a just judge. He is good and gracious, but yet at the same time, if it wasn't for his judgment, grace would be null and void. It's both and at the same time. But when you understand the depths of our plight as sinful people, you can understand the depths of the grace of God by saving us through Jesus. And this is where it comes, again, chapter one, we talked about the situation that we are in, that we are born into as people. It's a very, it's a horrible situation. It's, it's sin, it's destruction. And that's, that's all that sin does is it destroys. So in that situation, we need to be saved and redeemed from out of that, right? God doesn't, God doesn't come down to where sin is and, and become part of it with us. He, he remains separate from, him, from it and he calls us out of it. That's why there's change in the life of a believer. We're different. God is, is, is in control and he's sovereign. We talked about this yet and his sovereignty allows things to take place that we can't always reconcile. There's things that we see, right? Good things happening to bad people and vice versa that in our minds doesn't make sense. And we're like, where's God in that? And there's, there's, there's not always an easy answer to those things, which what, that's what we want. Hey, Jordan, give me that quick, concise statement that makes me go, ooh, and take a picture of it and post it on Instagram, right? Like that satisfies that tension in me. The thing is, is that there's some things that we won't be able to reconcile until heaven. We just can't. And Paul not only says these hard topics, he not only brings them up in his letter, he takes them a step further a lot of times <laughs> and, and makes it more complicated and, and asks the, the hard question after the hard question. It's kind of why I like reading Romans is because that's where my brain goes. I don't just ask the first hard question. It's like, there's, there's many more after that. It leads you on a journey. And Paul's, you know, is just anchoring them in God's nature and saying at the end of the day, in all of the different facets of God, 
we know and we've learned that he is holy, good, faithful, and we can trust him. We can trust him at the end of the day. The other, I guess, topic that we talked about and we talked about the tension in it was how are we saved and, and justified or justified before God? How does that take place? And in the same line of thought with God's sovereignty, where is the line between God's sovereignty of choosing us and then our response to that and our responsibility in it? And there's some people that, again, they fall on one side or the other and they say it's completely God that has chosen us and instigated every single step, every decision, every, every moment. And then there's these over here that are like, no, no, there's free will. And it's always this or that. <laughs> and there's beauty in them being together, in God's sovereignty, in his all-knowing, all-powerful state of who he is, it's who he is, that he has also given us a, level, a layer and a level of a human responsibility to respond to his grace. So stop trying to rip everything apart and begin to try to put it together and begin to embrace that, not this or that, but this right here in the middle. And, and, and Paul does this all throughout scripture. You could, read, you could read scriptures that support one way or the other, but in the end, when you put them together, you begin to see this beautiful picture. How are we saved? What's our responsibility in it? We don't have the ability to save ourselves. We don't have the ability. And I, I do believe that that is a staple in the conversation. That we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to be righteous and to be made righteous on our own. That is an impossibility. That eventually leads to humanism, which has been around a very long time. But all of it is by, by his grace. It's by God's grace and it's received through faith. All of it. It's all by grace through faith. We've talked about being justified. The other thing that we talked about was from that place of justification, how does Christian living play out? And this is where a lot of people start. <laughs> they start with, okay, how am I supposed to live as a Christian? And all throughout the Bible, it, the gospel doesn't start with that. It starts with what Jesus has done and works its way to that. And that's what we did through this series. And that's what Paul did in Romans. But in regards to Christian living, don't y'all believe that as, as believers that our lives should look different than those who don't know Jesus? That, that is an absolute fact and, and something that is interwoven in scripture all throughout. You can't, you can't say that I am justified, but I am not being sanctified. They are together. It, it, one maybe happens before the other, but it is, they're directly related. And, and stitched together and you can't tear that apart. But there's tension in it because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, but yet, I don't know about you, but I still sin. I still do things that I know are displeasing to God. My responses are not always holy. And I know all of, you, all of yours are, I know. And I understand that. So I humbly bow myself before you, right? <laughs> Paul says it though. I feel like I'm in, in, in decent company whenever I have the same situations that Paul said, right? He said, he said, the things I wanna do, I don't do and vice versa. So it's still a reality in our life that at times we don't act like a believer. You know, people, well, they're a hypocrite. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Everybody has a certain level of hypocrisy. Everybody. Well, if you really believed it, you'd always do it. Not always. 
Well, it's, it, you got, it's gotta be one. It, well, if you don't, man, I can't wait for heaven <laughs> where then I can actually say that everything that I believe I do 100% of the time. But right now we are all in broken vessels. Sin has messed up core parts of us that will not be fully restored until we receive a glorified, we are in a glorified state. Like, what does that mean? Well, we're not getting into that today. <laughs> and also we don't all really know completely, <laughs> right? By the way, if somebody ever says, we'll get into that another day, usually it means they have no idea and they just need to go do more study. <laughs> Sometimes I'm honest to a fault, you know? It's true though, oh, the depths of God. But there's, there's tension in how we live as believers. And again, I, for the last time for this series, I want to, to show you the two different pitfalls that we fall into when it comes to Christian living. And I wanna warn you about it, much like Paul has done and ask you and plead with you to maintain tension. One is there's legalism. There's the letter of the law. These are the rules of being a Christian. And if you are one, you will obey, <laughs> you know, like, and then there's those who say, man, Jesus, I am free in Christ to do whatever. And Paul's in between saying, both of you are wrong. You're both wrong. Your motivation is wrong. Your thinking is wrong. Your heart, like deep down inside of you, there's something that is off because our conduct matters. It does matter, but it never precedes a changed condition. And that's why Paul began to talk about abusing the grace of God. You'll remember he talks about abusing God's grace and, and he says that abusing God's grace is absolutely improper. There was a quote we read, it says this, to treat being under God's grace, in God's grace as an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. That challenges me very much in my own personal life to check myself and to allow the Holy Spirit to consistently check where I'm at. Talk about humility, right? For some of you today, you find yourself on this, this pendulum over here of legalism and it's always a rule, it's always a standard, it's always this thing. And others of you, it's like, man, there's nothing I can do, so therefore I ain't even gonna try. And both have error in them and Paul says, come together. There's tension in the middle, that's good tension. It's both and together in Christ, in the proper motivation. How about when we talked about we're not to judge? Don't judge one another, which if anybody doesn't know the Bible, they all know this one part of scripture. You know who Jesus is? No, but don't judge me. <laughs> you can't judge me. Like, where did that come from, you know? Like, we can't judge one another, but, but how's, how about this though? But in the context of a believer's relationship with other believers, did you know that it's actually good to judge, but judge might be the wrong word. It's actually admonish. See, judgment has a lot of, of condemning in it. Have you ever had somebody correct you, but yet you were filled with almost like joy about the fact that they actually corrected you? You were, you were filled with life in it. It was a life-giving, like encouraging slap in the face. You know what I'm talking about? Like, cause their heart for you was proper. They weren't condemning you, they were admonishing you. But yet, how many of you have ever had somebody come up to you and they begin to just rip you? They're saying all the same words, but there's something that you're just not receiving it. Why? Cause there may be a tone of condemnation in it. There may be a, a heart posture and that's, look, 
We don't wanna be like that with each other. We don't wanna be condemning of each other. But when it comes to unbelievers, again, it's a completely different spectrum. To expect an unbeliever to act like they are a believer is improper, it's unfair. It's like expecting your, your child who is in third grade to know algebra, unless they're a whiz, but no, for all of us who have normal kids, um, they don't know algebra, right? And you're, to expect them to know something because they like kind of know a little bit of subtraction or addition, it's unfair. And the same thing, Christians, do not expect unbelievers to have the same ethics as you, have the same belief system as you. It's not gonna work. That's why I think arguments around some, some of the political things that we're, we're dealing with today or, or some of the standards of living things, I'm like, are, you're really, are we as believers really, surpri- like, so really surprised whenever someone doesn't have the same convictions as we do? <laughs> like, we can't get caught. It, it's really, it's just improper. So let's maintain this layer, this uh, level of, of admonishing one another in love. We talked about submitting uh, out of obedience to authority, which is a big one nowadays. Honor and submission to authority is just about last on the rung of the ladder, right? It's just, I'll submit if I agree. That's not submission, unfortunately. I wish it was, but it's not. And Paul straight up just goes after this. Jesus did too. Should we pay taxes? Jesus is like, well, look at the coin. Who's on that? Yep, yep, pay to him. Pay to him what is needed. That's what you're supposed to do. But Jesus, give us a political talk. Say something that would release us from all of this. He's like, yeah, no. I don't know that the American church would really embrace Jesus very much because I don't think that he would say the things that we'd want him to say. I don't think he'd be involved in the things that we'd want him to be involved in. He might not carry all of our banners that high. Just a little thought. That wasn't in my notes, but uh, (laughs) how about uh, personal convictions and biblical absolutes? All of us in this place today, we have different ways of living our life. And you know what? Some of the standards that we live and operate by are personal, tailor-made by God for us to operate in a certain way of living but that does not mean that it is tailor-made for the person sitting next to you. And we really talk about righteous living versus unrighteous living, and there's a big difference in those. But when it comes to all being in righteous living, but just being in different spectrums of that, Paul was dealing with that, and I thought he threaded the needle perfect, right? He's just like, no, well, you know, the big thing was meat offered to idols. Can we eat meat offered to idols? And Paul's like, absolutely, you can, I can. But if a person says that they can't, then they can't. And that's great. I talked to somebody recently and I said, hey man, listen, if, if you do this and God has spoken to you about it, I celebrate that, that's great. That doesn't mean it's for me, but I am excited. And I think that you should even go further into that because that's what God's doing in your life. And it's awesome, but God hasn't done. Now, does the Bible say black and white? No, it was a cultural type of thing. And guys, look, Paul is dealing with it. And he's like, we have got to maintain unity around these things. We got to fight for that middle ground. Paul tells us not to lose the ground that we've taken in our understanding of the gospel. And in wrapping up this series, I wanna just challenge us to do the same thing. Guys, I believe that in this church that we have grown over the last four months. 
I really believe it. I, I believe that understanding, and many of you that have, you know, we, we've been friends and family for many years and, and we've been in this thing together, but there's, a, there's an understanding, a depth of understanding of the goodness and the grace of God that anchors you. And I believe from this place that uh, we're on good ground to move forward. I really believe it. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna challenge us not to lose that ground, not to fall back into petty arguments, not to allow the spirit of this world to, to infiltrate the spirit of the church and to it gets convoluted and then to, to fall into disunity, to fall into divisions, to begin to hold up our thinking over another. A lot of times it actually doesn't play out in theology. It plays out in just teams. It plays out in small groups. It plays out in families. It plays out in personal opinions. It plays out in, in weird little conversations that get, that get just strange. Can I, can I just challenge us to not go there, but to remain in unity. There's one thing the devil wants to do if he can't destroy us, it's to distract us, to cause us to be fruitless, and to live a few lives, sit in a pew in a church, raising our hands to the songs that we like and serving on the team that we really enjoy unless we get scheduled too much and then we don't wanna do that anymore, right? He'd love for us to stay in that place and not actually really co-labor with God and move things forward. And one of the things that we've gotta maintain is our unity. So with that, Paul wraps up. In verse 25, he says this, now to him, to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done in our church and in our own individual lives over the last few months. And God, we all come before you humbly saying, God, would you help us to maintain and to continue on this journey? As a church, God, would you help us to love you well, to serve you well? And God, out of that, to love people and serve people to the best of our ability, God, sacrificially, God, that we would place you and your call upon our lives above our own individual convenience or comfort. God, would you break our hearts for the things that break yours? Cause us to be discontented with the things that you are discontented about. And Lord, only to be satisfied with the things that satisfy you. We invite that process into our lives. God, that we would be a church that humbly studies the word of God. Lord, that we would not fall into the understanding that we have graduated from needing to know you more. God, that we wouldn't in our own lives build a tower of theology, but God, that we would build a temple of worship, always placing you at the center. God, that we would be a church that makes room for people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, God, that we would be a church that is in unity, but also in diversity. God, you have, you have mandated us to do that and we embrace that. God, and also that we would be a church that has a heart 
to bring the gospel to those who are broken and hurting and hopeless apart from you. God, every day I pray that God, you would spark it in us afresh and anew. God, that there are those who are far from you that are on their way to eternal destruction, but yet God, we have the remedy. We have the gospel. And God, motivate us out of that realization to go, to be the called out ones, to be the church. We love you and we thank you. If you're in this place, you're in Long Beach, you're in Wiggins, you're watching online, watching on cable, wherever you're at in this moment, I believe that God is drawing those of you that are far away from him back to himself. It's a promise. His spirit draws all men to himself. And I believe right now, God is drawing many of you. He has done the work for you, everything. He has sent Jesus to die for you to give you hope, to give you a future, to redeem your life and to give you full life. And right now, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I'm gonna simply pray a prayer and I want you to agree with this prayer. Maybe even pray your own prayer to God. But the point is that you surrender yourself to him and you accept what Jesus has done for you. God, we come before you right now, humble. Father, we know that you are the answer to all of our questions. Jesus, that your blood has paid the price for all of our sin and all of our shame, our fear. And today, God, I am far from you. And God, right now, I wanna receive you into my life, that you would forgive my sin, that you would make me righteous before you. God, I know that what I have to offer is not enough. So God, I throw myself at your feet. And I ask you for your mercy and your grace to cover my sin, to cover my weakness. I put all my faith and my trust in you today. And God, today, let my life be a life that is lived for your glory, for your honor, for your fame, not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for every person who gave their hearts to God today? Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people, be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.